Welcome to the Disaster Tough Podcast, where we talk about emergency management by emergency managers. We share stories, lessons, and tips to help keep you moving forward. I am John Scardina, the host. I share my experience as a former federal emergency response official who's responded to some of the most extreme disasters over the past decade. I now lead a private emergency management firm called Doberman Emergency Management that focuses on emergency planning, mitigation, and response. This podcast is brought to you by L3 Harris. L3 Harris is an amazing company. They provide communications for first responders all over the world. They created the Beyond Push to Talk app that allows your team to communicate between mobile devices and radios through encrypted lines, which makes it so much easier for the team. Even better, they are offering the Beyond app at no cost to agencies for a limited time. You have to check it out. L3Harris.com slash responder support or click on the show notes for details. This is episode eight. All right, everybody, hurricane season is officially upon us. We already have storms headed towards the Gulf. Stadio seas have been activated. We're going to be dealing with this now for the next several months. And if you're getting into emergency management or you've been in emergency management for a while, then there are critical things you absolutely have to know as an emergency manager to make sure that you can communicate effectively and competently in a disaster. So I'm just going to go through this rapid fire over the next 20 minutes or so of all these different things that you need to think about. And it is not a complete list. It is not a comprehensive list, but it is some of those major points of what you, what you need to know. So let's just jump in. Okay. So the famous cone, what I call the cone of uncertainty, the cone that looks out on those Noah maps and sees like this big cone that's just headed towards land. And they're like trying to figure out uh, okay, what does this mean for me? Now, a lot of people mistakenly think that where the cone is, that's where the hurricane winds are, and that's where like everything's going to happen. That is not true. It's a complicated model that I'll try to explain fairly straightforward. The center of the cone is the center line of a particular model of a hurricane path. So they have a model and they draw, they say, okay, we think the, the center of the hurricane is going to be here. What then they do is they say, okay, with that center line, let's look at the last five years of how closely we were able to predict this specific region. Now there's lots of factors, winds a factor, temperature in the air and, the, and then the water's a factor, how deep the water is. So there's all these different things that they're trying to parameters that they're trying to go through and they're trying to figure out what that is. So They'll say, okay, for the last five years, how well were, were we able to predict this? The wider the, the, the cone is, is an indication of uh, a less reliable last five years of uh, modeling. The smaller the cone, the more reliable they are able to predict where it's going to go. So it's not a wonder that that start from the, the coast of Africa have these huge cones and by the time they get to land they're much smaller because as it goes along the modeling gets better and more reliable. Speaking of modeling if you're looking at hurricane pass and those models there's really just two main groups that do this. There's those uh, the hurricane models from the US and European models that I look at 
I actually choose the European models. They seem to be a little bit more accurate for me. Uh, but I'm not a NOAA guy, so you always refer to your National Weather Service for specific details. But on that cone, just really make sure that you're going through there and recognize that it could change. And a prime example of this is Hurricane Matthew. Hurricane Matthew happened, I think, in 2016. Maybe it was 15. Nope, I'm pretty sure it was 16. And uh, we were deployed to FEMA Region 4 to stage for about 24 hours, thinking we might be in Georgia. Uh, then it quickly changed to North Carolina, then South Carolina, and bounced around a little bit. And then uh, Florida started getting in the mix. And finally, we said, okay, it does look like it's going to hit Florida. A lot of impact there. Let's head there first. And we might have to chase it up the coast. So we prepped for a Type 1 event. It was a really big storm. I got to work with an amazing GIS staff in Florida. The Florida EOC is a really well done EOC. I think Craig Fugate had a lot to say with how the EOC was designed. Uh, at least his banner's up there, uh, maybe because he's from Florida. But uh, in any case, it was a, a great example. So we got to be out there and work with those guys. I specifically remember Jason. He's a really great guy. I've seen him several times since and uh, impressed with their work. So we were out there and uh, we watched the hurricane get closer and closer to shore. And at the last second, the eye made like a candy cane. And instead of hitting land directly, it went up the coast. Speaking of, you know, it did miss the coast. There was still a lot of devastation. And I had to go out there with my buddy Mike. In fact, Mike and I would go out to lots of different uh, events and look at our modeling and see how close it was. And uh, we had a lot of fun together out there in disasters. I remember this tradition he and I would start because we'd have to go on these really long road trips. Somebody would look at a computer, computer, and one of us would be driving, uh, typically me. And uh, we started listening to like late 80s hip hop. And for all the stress that we were going through and how hard the tempo was and everything, listening to that Pandora station, not a sponsor, of like these late 80s, early 90s hip hop artists like Run DMC and Beastie Boys and Rakim and just like, all this like really good music back then. Uh, it was a lot of fun and de-stress and um, you know just do these road trips. But we would get, we would get out to the disaster zone and of course turn off the music because uh, you know that'd be highly inappropriate to have any music playing. So we would you know really start to focus and uh, see these impacts and uh, start marking the levels of water on homes and those kind of things and uh, impacts to critical infrastructure. And I remember us and Matthew, uh, we went to the coast and I got a really stupid t-shirt. It was like, um, something about, oh, it said, yeah, that was the shirt. It said, got wind. And I had a kite on the back because I couldn't wear my FEMA gear. I had to get a t-shirt. And so I went into the store and like all the merchandise was sold out and it was just like, got wind and a kite. And I was like, oh man, this is so this is so lame, but uh, I was uh, happy to help out a local business at least. So we got a, I got a shirt. That's neat. But we, we went out to the coast. We went out to the disaster area and then it hit me. We saw the miles and miles and miles of coastline that had dealt with rapid erosion. It went from, of course, like that fun, long drive that we would always do to okay, this is sobering, this is, this is impactful. 
And I think as an emergency manager, it's okay to compartmentalize like that. It helps you get through the event. But uh, in any case, we were out there and, you know, these roads, these homes, the critical infrastructure, power lines, whatever, they were washed out to sea. I mean, there was just destruction everywhere. And to recognize the power of water uh, was really incredible. Okay, the next thing you need to know, speaking of water, is the differences between tide, surge, storm tide, and inundation. Tide is those normal waves that go in and out, and there's high tide, there's low tide of based off of different currents and where the moon's at and all these different things. But that's like your normal stuff. When you go out to the beach, whether it's a Great Lake or it's an ocean, whatever, okay, this is your tide. Surge, on the other hand, is the abnormal height from tide level. So if you're thinking about your tide as three feet, okay, there's a three-foot wave, whatever, then your surge is the amount of water, is the height of water from that height to the additional level. So three feet, and then surge would be 15 feet. Then you have storm tide, which, which is the combination of both tide and surge. So tide, three feet, surge, 15 feet, storm tide would be the total of 18 feet. That makes sense. Inundation is just the height of water on dry ground. If water's not supposed to be there, and there's water there, then now you have inundation. So you have to recognize those uh, differences and what they are. You should be able to hear an update and say, okay, surge is now three feet. You should know that that's not three feet of water from ground level. That's three feet on top of tide. Speaking of tide and surge, inundation, all of that, Hurricane Sandy, the reason why, well, Hurricane Sandy wasn't a hurricane technically. Superstorm Sandy, I think is what they called it. It was a tropical storm by the time it hit shore but it was during high tide. So the water was already very high, and then you have surge on top of that. It was just devastating. So that's why Sandy was so difficult. Okay, uh, the next one is storm water is really, really gross. Avoid storm water as much as humanly possible, especially in a large-scale disaster. Sewage facilities are, are now underwater, so that's mixed in. You have chemicals uh, from homes and from industry and from everything else in the water, gasoline, whatever. You have bodies. A really interesting case study is Louisiana. Some of their grave sites are above ground. So if somebody had just been laid in that graveyard and then we had mass flooding that opened up the graves, how do we identify to make sure that somebody didn't drown in a flood? Or if they were, uh, if they died, the coroner is going to have to go through that. But when you have all kinds of just everything in that water, avoid that water. First responders really should only be going in uh, with protective gear. And every time I see people on the news that are just treading through that water, sometimes they have to and it's an emergency and it's not great. Hopefully they get cleaned very quickly. But I just like kind of cringe inside. Like think about all those things that are out there and, um, you know, bacteria, whatever that can impact you. Uh, we've had first responders die over it because they'll get a cut, they'll get bacteria in there, and then, you know, something terrible happens to them. So uh, don't let that happen to you. The next one would be uh, tornadoes. You should never forget tornadoes in a hurricane because it's not just a water event, it's a wind event, and it is already in a cyclone motion. So you need to think about all these little tornadoes that could kick off. That causes additional problems, of course, so you need to be watching that uh, very closely. So the last one is uh, that I would suggest is better messaging. 
you absolutely need to have messaging that reaches the locals. A lot of PIOs come from out of town. Emergency managers come and deploy right into these areas, but they don't understand the local constraints. And they put out these official messages as if everybody is going to either trust that official message, which a lot of people don't, or it goes out to systems that people are not using. So a message to PIOs would be to make sure that you're working with volunteer groups, you know, Red Cross, Salvation Army, to make sure that you're communicating at that local level. Faith-based groups is a great option. People will listen to their pastor. People will listen to their priest, their minister, their, their bishop. They're going to reach out there and they're going to say, hey, do I need to evacuate? Or the, the bishop, the pastor, the priest will say, I think you need to evacuate. I've been looking at this information and people will trust that a lot more. Locals trust locals. Never forget that. I'll say that again. Locals trust locals. So you should use that and you should build trust in those communities as much as humanly possible. In very rare cases, I've seen even leaders of gangs being addressed. We had shelters open up in a community where there was two gangs that were rival. And so we brought the gang leaders together through nonprofits and said, we just need to have peace they were able to successfully implement that. So don't try to judge. Don't try to think you understand everything about a community. Don't try to you know, come in there and show how tough you are, or big you are, or authoritative you are. When you're dealing with messaging and you're trying to deal with evacuations especially, you need to use the locals to help out locals. And you need to do it in a kind and unjudgmental way that guarantees the safety and security of everybody involved. So on that note, uh, I have seen in disasters, emergency managers get confused between the political message and the alerts. The alert would be to evacuate. The alert would be uh, to get to safety. The political message might be don't loot. So don't confuse the political message with the alert message. Politicians will go out there, and I've seen in especially Hurricane Katrina, which was an absolute crapshoot on every single level, if you want to just be honest about it. And a politician came out and said, hey, we're going to shoot looters on site. Now, looters have been in the news a lot this week because murders caused peaceful protest, which is a very powerful message, but that led, unfortunately, in some cases to looting. Anyways, going back to our, our original thought, so this politician came out and said, hey, hey, if you're looting, we're going to shoot you on site. And they were trying to sound super tough and hardcore and all those, just like rolling your eyes. But everybody who was in that disaster zone, that multi-state disaster zone, whether it was Mississippi or Louisiana, none of those people had power. And at the time in 2005, we didn't have cell phones with constant uh, social media updates. We had TV, we had radio. And if you don't have power, then you don't have comms. So that very political statement was said to everybody else in the country to, to bolster their own political, quote unquote, might or whatever. That's not who we are. We don't do that as emergency managers. We're One, we're apolitical. We are the coordinators. We're trying to work with different people. But the other end of that is we are also don't want to screw up the message because that could be cost people's lives on the fringe of me getting political right now and trying to pull back from that. Right. That's what we are there to do. We are there to help people. We are there to help the locals 
and their systems. We're not there to judge or to show how tough we are. Other people can do that, whatever. But we're there to help people. I cannot stress that enough. I've said that, I said that like, what, three times in a row? We're there to help people four times in a row. Okay, so the message is clear there. Never get political. Don't be negative. Be positive and know that if we use every group imaginable that we can as a PIO or whatever, then we can help out a lot of people and we can hold our heads up high by doing that. So that would be my message today as we're getting into hurricane season and we're dealing with these big issues that are happening right now. Understand what a hurricane is. Understand the, the cones and tide, surge, storm tide, inundation, understanding the power of water and wind and infrastructure and all the different things that could impact. Don't go through that storm water. It's super gross. Don't get sick. Make sure that your messaging is reaching out to the right people and you'll be successful in your mission as long as you attach those things to your mission. So I'm John Scardino with the Doberman Emergency Management Group. If you have questions about hurricane response or you need to make a better plan or your community is having complications with creating that plan or in implementing that plan, please reach out to us. We can help. If you like this podcast, if you got something out of it, please give us that five-star rating of which we really want and subscribe so that we can continue to communicate with you. And if you have a question, comment, concern, praiseworthy note, whatever, please feel free to send us an email at info at Again, that's info at Dobermanemg.com.